Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's up, hooligans? Welcome to another edition of the Unreasonable Odds podcast. Back in the mix once again. This is probably my monthly appearance, so we'll see you guys probably June 15th after this. So at least if you like me, get used to this appearance because I'm probably gone for like two months after this. But happy to be back in the saddle, of course, with my dude Julian Edlow, giving some instant reaction, uh, 12-hour reaction, 24 hour, depending on when you watch this, to the NFL draft that took place on Thursday. First round went through was nothing short of drama. There was plenty of that. There was some surprising moves that were made. We're going to kind of give some of our analysis on some of that. And then later in the show, we have a very special guest that we're going to bring in on, that we'll be bringing on to the show. Chelsea Messenger, host of Picks and Parlays. We'll be here to talk some MLB betting as well. So make sure to stay tuned for that. Julian, my friend, what's going on, dude? I love betting the NFL draft. It's so great. and It's a great it's- rush. It's so it's a great rush. It's a different kind of sweat than a game. Like you're either you're either glued. You either want it spoiled by Rappaport or Schefter. They're right. not quite <laughs> Woj bombs. Like Woj and Shams have them like five minutes before the picks in the NBA, and it's totally different. Yeah. NFL, you can get them like a minute, thirty seconds yeah. before if you want it, or you can just watch the broadcast and get it. It's a different kind of sweat than a game. Betting drafts, obviously, waiting to hear that name, and then it's also just you know. I was, I did a radio interview asking, you know, for some advice on betting the draft and whatnot. Like it's yeah. so much different than betting a game. Like over the weekend, the jazz were minus a thousand money line favorites against the Timberwolves and they lost. <laughs> when something gets to minus a thousand in the draft, that's going to happen. Now, maybe yeah. you don't have the bankroll to bet things like that, but like, if you're not afraid of laying some juice, like I, I watched Kyle Pitts go from plus money to minus 120 yeah. to minus 150 to be the first non-QB selected. I bet him pretty big at minus 150. It was like minus 400, minus 450 by the time we got to, to draft night. And it was a, a great bet. So like if you do your research um, yeah. and you aren't afraid to lay some juice or you want to get in early on things that you think are going to happen at great plus money and just watch them come down, betting drafts are, are great. This is the third third year in a row profitable on the nfl draft i'm pretty sure i have to go back and check last year but two of the last three years the nfl draft best bets article has been undefeated last year i wrote so many there were going to be some losses in there but it, it did very well so betting drafts that's that's i love it and i'm glad you brought that up about you know getting on something early because then you know the odds shift dramatically because one of the big storylines going into and we started on the DraftKings sportsbook specifically going into the afternoon was trey lance going three 
overall, the third pick going to the 49ers. We saw some massive movements on that during the afternoon. Obviously, when the 49ers originally drafted up to three, the idea was that it was going to be Mac Jones. He ended up falling right into the Patriots' lap at 15, and they went instead with Trey Lance. And over on your Twitter account, at Julian Edlow, you posted this beautiful-looking graph that showed how the live movement went for who was going to go at three. Because quite frankly, we all knew how the draft was going to play out. Trevor Lawrence was going to go first. Zach Wilson was going to go second. The draft really started at pick three. They ended up going with Trey Lance, which I felt like was probably the right move because, you know, basing on talent, yes, maybe Justin Fields is probably the guy that should go there. But for what the 49ers wanted to do and their offensive scheme, Trey Lance was the better fit for the 49ers. So as the day went on, Lance was becoming more and more of a favorite to go at third. If you follow that trend, you follow where the money was going, you would have won that bet. Kind of talk us through, you know, your mentality as you were seeing that movement and then how that ended up playing out here on draft night. Again, these don't always work in Correct. drafts, but they usually do. This is not this is not the Patriots moving from minus six and a half to minus nine and a half and the money's piling yeah. on. You still have to play the game and see what the score is. This is a team who knows the two teams before its decision. They have their pick of anybody left in the draft. So it's just betting on information. Um, and the information was good. I know you and I were both able to scoop up Trey Lance yesterday at even money. Uh, yep. And and that, that worked out uh, great. So I also, when, uh, when Rappaport put out the, the report that it was between Mac Jones and um, Lance, I bet some Lance before fields. I bet some Lance under yeah. six and a half. Just because this whole time I never bought the Mac Jones stuff. Like Mac Jones was, I think the Patriots got Mac Jones right around like his ceiling in the NFL. Where he should be going. Prospect. Yeah. I thought he would could have been a late first round pick. Um, we'll see how that goes with the Patriots. It's obviously a good landing spot. I don't love the the prospect, Player. but that's a different story. Um, yeah, when you start to see that money move, it was a great kept secret by the 49ers when they traded yeah. up. They were, they, you don't give that much up to move that high up unless you know who you're taking. They knew who they were taking all along. Um, and the cool part of how good they kept this secret in the Twitter era and whatnot, between the time of that trade and the pick being made, Fields was minus 120 or something. Matt Jones was minus like 275, 300. And Trey Lance closed minus 200. All of them, all three quarterbacks that we knew would be on the board there were odds on favorites at one point in time. So great job by the Niners in this day and age, keeping things, uh, you know, under the best. On, to on top of that, too, unless Trey Lance is a good actor, you saw like a genuine reaction come from him by getting the call. And he even said when he was on the stage, I didn't even know until a couple of minutes ago. Like, obviously, some of these guys had a good idea of where they were going. And unless Lance is playing all of us, he genuinely seemed somewhat surprised that he was the guy going to three. No, I believe I believe him because the Niners didn't tell anybody. They didn't tell their yeah. coaches, their personnel. It was just like Shanahan, Lynch, and I don't know who else that knew. So I don't think they told Trey Lance he was the pick. I think he probably got some good vibes and knew yeah. that it was a very realistic possibility. Um, but he doesn't know how their workouts with Mac Jones and Justin Fields went. Uh, they could have liked one of him more at now. It, Lance was the prospect that made sense. Like I said, in my, my videos for my mock draft, where I was our only analyst that had Trey Lance going number three, I would like to point out. 
Um, here's why. Here's why it makes sense. Like the one thing that the Niners said before Shanahan started talking about who knows who's going to be alive on this earth at the end of the weekend, and we like all five quarterback prospects. That's why we moved up. <laughs> like he just started spewing garbage because one of yeah. the things that we that, that he said early on is. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to give us the best chance to win next year. We want to use Jimmy Garoppolo and develop a quarterback. When you say yeah. that, who's the guy that fits at number three? Trey Lance, Lance the mystery prospect that is well-coached, uh, player's son, he's Very 20 well. years old. He's got all the tools, but you probably want to sit him for a year and let him learn. Like That's the part that added up for me and, and made Lance the, the likely pick. And just using your eyes, like Mac Jones – Matt Jones is not a top 10 prospect. So it, it all worked out as, as advertised um, did really well with the top five picks. Wish I acted more on, on chase. I, I just let my head, I know a lot of us, including you are like protect burrow, protect burrow. We kind of learned that pick was going to be chase, especially by the odds later on. I wish I, I got in a little bit there. Um, the, so I'm going to have a day two NFL draft. Uh, NFL best bets. If you're watching this on Friday before 7 PM, when things start this morning, Bengals next pick to be an offensive lineman was like minus 250. It's up to yeah. minus 335 for the Bengals yeah. in that five spot in the second round to select an O lineman. There's a few good one on good ones on the board. So it's going to be that. If, like I said, if you don't mind laying juice on something that's going to happen, yeah. that is going to happen. Right. Or, and I, I agree with that too. And, you know, obviously I, I wasn't crazy about the chase pick, not because of the player, but because when you look at the Bengals, like their need is not at receiver. Like they still have a good core yeah. of receivers, even if they don't take chase, like, you know, yes and just, no. Go ahead. I mean, so I just think it makes them, it gives them all the pieces of like a really elite, offense except you have to fill the line out even more now so like Sewell might be it sounds like he's a generational lineman like he didn't he opted out last year so his last season was protecting Herbert before the the last draft and it was like if he gets another year under his belt he could be a three four five uh overall pick um so may I, like it's a tough pass it's tough to pass on Sewell there I'll admit but this is a guy that Burrow knows well and that knows Burrow right. well. And like that connection could be big time. Like we're talking for fantasy DFS purposes down the line, the next few years, like the Burrow chase stack could be that like breeze, Michael Thomas, right. uh, Matt Ryan, Julio Jones type of stack. Some of these weeks in, in fantasy um, and T Higgins is a really solid guy opposite outside. And Boyd is a really good slot guy. So like, they're building one of these really elite type of offenses. Now, you know, they just really need to focus on the offensive line through trade free agency, yeah. their next, whatever, make your next three picks. O linemen. I don't care. Um, do what you have to do to protect borough now at all costs, because you have those, those pieces in place. But I, I think that, you know, there's only one prospect like chase when you consider the part of how he played with Burrow and has that connection so if you put a lot of stock in that and feel you can get the lineman later, uh, go for it. I mean, I also didn't like the pick because I had Chase over five and a half, you know, 
for his landing spot. So there's that too. Right. Um, I, I want to jump over into the top 10 because uh, I'm sorry, right after the top 10, because I think the two biggest winners of the first round are right in that realm. The Eagles traded up to spot 10, uh, took Devonte Smith from Alabama, which is going to be huge for him. And Jalen hurts gives him a nice uh, weapon because the Eagles. That's are- another former college connection right there. Correct. Um, but you know, if there's one thing the Eagles need, there are many, uh, but Jalen Hurts needs weapons. He needs a downfield threat. He does not have that. Like you look at the Eagles depth chart heading into the draft. It was pathetic. Like there was nobody that like stood out to you. Like there's Jalen Hurts' number one guy. Maybe Smith's not number one right off the bat, but he probably is going to be in that conversation. And then right after that, immediately the Bears jumped in, took pick number 11, and they took Justin Fields, who, you know, we just talked about for a long time was, you know, maybe the third pick for the 49ers. The Bears were able to swoop in, get their quarterback of the future. It is not Andy Dalton. It is not Nick Foles. It's Justin Fields. But those are probably the two biggest winners from the early portion of the draft for me because it's two teams that had a huge need to fill. They did their part. They, they traded up where they needed to. And then the Eagles kind of bounced around in the draft here, ended up with 10 because we saw a couple moves that they made. But they got their guy. The Bears got their guy. I mean, do you think those are the two biggest winners of the first round? Because those are the ones that stick out most to me. Start with the Bears, who were clearly a, if they're not the biggest winner, they're top two or three because they did a great job going up and getting a guy that I think a lot of us, um, you know, we all had our mock drafts based on what will happen in the draft. But I think a lot of us, just from doing all the shows with the the analysts here at at DraftKings, most of us had fields as like the second best quarterback prospect behind uh, Trevor Lawrence. So they're getting a good player. They're getting a tested player who's, you know, played at Ohio state. He's played in big games. He's played against good competition. He's been through adversity. Uh, he's played hurt, taking that big crack against Clemson in that game and yeah. staying out there and continuing to shred them. He's tough. He fits a team like the bears with that toughness. Um, yeah, I, I just feel that's that's going to work out. Uh, this isn't Mitch Trubisky, who was kind of that mystery guy at the top of that draft. Um, and looking back at it, how wild is it that people will bite on a mystery like that over yeah. prospects like Watson and Mahomes? Um, Trey Lance seems a little more raw, uh, head on his shoulders. He just Trey Lance seems like he can get a little more polished. I, I like him a lot more than than Trubisky, which is a lot, very easy to say, you know, now, but <laughs> um, yeah, great draft for the bears giving, giving the first round pick to move up nine spots is well worth it given what you got. Um, so yeah, the bears were obvious. The Eagles, uh, they, they could have, I wouldn't have hated if they went cornerback early, a huge need, yeah. but then horn goes eight, Sertan goes nine. Now there's not an elite corner either. Right. Waddle goes six. There's only one really premier wide receiver or corner prospect left. So yeah, you've got to make sure. And and the Giants clearly wanted Devonta Smith at eleven, um, especially considering we know when they made back that helped the Bears, right, big time. Although maybe the Bears could have made a move at twelve or whatever. Um, they clearly wanted Smith, and it's funny that the. Cowboys helped the Eagles move up to to pass the Giants to get the wide receiver that the Giants were going to take um, is just a funny storyline. I don't know if the Eagles are the biggest winners, but they did a good job getting a position of need. And Smith is a great possession receiver that 
has some background with Hertz, obviously from Alabama. A lot of that last night. Hertz and uh, Hertz and Smith get together. Yeah. Tua and Waddle from Alabama get together in Miami. Right. Um, obviously, Burrow and Chase get together from LSU, and then the Jags put Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence together from Clemson as well. Yep. So a lot of uh, teammates, quarterbacks getting their their you know, passing weapons last night. And I, I think it's important too to note that like if there was needs for the Eagles, it was definitely cornerback and wide receiver. It wouldn't have made sense for them to take quarterback there because the next one that went off the board was Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech. And he didn't go until pick 22, I think it was for the right. Titans. So unless they were going to move back again in the draft, that was the right move to make. And they did get the right guy for it. Which, I mean, the Eagles, some teams had Farley just off their boards altogether yeah. because he has two major back surgeries. Right. Um, so Tennessee took a risk on him. So yeah, if there's nobody left at your positions of need, but Smith, great move. Uh, last move I kind of want to hit upon, and this was the one that really everybody was waiting on to see what they would do. The Patriots ended up taking Mac Jones at pick 15. Obviously Mac Jones was in the green room, probably a lot longer than he expected falling all the way down to 15. You know, he's saying the right things after the draft secretly wanted to be a Patriot. This is where the landing spot was going to be. You know, there was a lot of chatter about if the Patriots would move up into the top 10 to grab a quarterback if they, you know, if things fell the way that it was. Once Trey Lance went at three, I think the Patriots felt safe that they could stay put at where they are and they were going to be able to get the quarterback that they needed because if it was not Trey Lance, I feel like another team, maybe even the Panthers, might have done their due diligence there and take Trey Lance there, even though they have Sam Darnold. But once Lance went to the third spot, I think the Panthers were content with who they have with Sam Darnold. They did end up picking up his fifth option, fifth year option. So there's that too as well. So they are going with Sam Darnold. But I think that Trey Lance pick was so important because it paved the way for the Patriots to be able to land Mac Jones. I think you and I both aren't crazy about the pick. There's one thing I don't like about Mac Jones. He's not, you know, once he gets flushed out of the pocket, not the player that, you know, and look, Cam Newton is not, has not been a viable quarterback, but if there's one thing I do like about Cam Newton is that he's mobile. But the Patriots did what they did in the offseason with so many weapons that they have. They don't really need a mobile quarterback because they have so many guys on the field now that they, that Cam or Mac Jones can throw to. So it was the move that had to be made because, you know, why wouldn't they take Mac Jones at 15, who was, you know, potentially a third round, uh, excuse me, a third pick overall. But, you know, as a player, yeah, I, it, it is what it is. It, it was the pick to make, but doesn't mean I have to like it. I'm just not buying like the the perception was obviously that Jones was going three because he touched minus yeah. 300 there. So now everybody thinks the Patriots got the number three draft spot at number 15. I'm not sold. That was ever anywhere close. 49ers knew the whole time who they were taking. Mac Jones had no shot all along of going in the top three, yeah. which means if no other quarterbacks are going in the top 10, Mac Jones had no chance all along of going in the top 10. This was a mid to late first rounder for me all along. I was shocked when he got the boost that he did to three. It didn't happen, which makes sense. And, uh, you know, I think the Patriots took him almost a little early. Uh, yeah. I'm shocked that the Patriots actually spent first round draft capital capital on a quarterback. Um, Bill Belichick has never done that. Yeah, uh, he is stubborn. Tom Brady was a six round pick 199. We know he should think that he can get away with that again. Um, find another Garoppolo, find another Stidham. Just keep going until you find your guy uh, late 
in even in this draft. Take somebody tonight. Take uh, Friday night. Take somebody on Saturday afternoon. Um, I'm I'm shocked, even though it's a Saban connection. Uh, I was going to say, how much did that come into play? Because I feel like if he was in any lot. other place but Alabama, he may not have been that guy. A lot. Um, Bill Belichick has to have gotten uh, a 100% stamp of approval from Nick Saban that Mac Jones is a legitimate prospect. So maybe there's, I mean, I'm not going <laughs> to sit here and pretend that you and I know football like Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. <laughs> so they're probably right about this. I would hope, but we, I, we don't seem to think Mac Jones is that good of a prospect. And you know me, I'm a huge Alabama guy. I yeah. bet them all the time in season. I always bet them to win their conference, bet them to win the SEC, bet them to win the national championship game, like pile it on. They, they've made me plenty of money. Uh, and I love Alabama, but like, you could argue that Mac, you can't argue. It is a fact that Matt Jones is about to downgrade his wide receivers going from college to the NFL. He just had Waddle and Smith, two top 10 picks. Now you got Nikhil Harry and Nelson Aguilar. Um, who's the guy from San Francisco born. You're downgrading your wide receivers. You have almost a similar offensive line. <laughs> like yeah. it's going to be a different situation, but, but again, you can't forget about Hunter Henry and uh, John o. Smith though. A lot of help there. in the middle That's of the true. field. <clears throat> That's true. Um, so hopefully it works out, uh, you know, as Patriots fans, I, I kind of, and apparently Bill Belichick was not, uh, enamored with Justin Fields at all or whatever. I would have liked Fields after that slide. I thought it would have been cool to move on from Brady with, like we just said, somebody that can move around somebody that can move like Cam, yeah. but still has an arm left. Um, and Fields could be that Mac Jones is going to be, take this the right way. Mac Jones is going to be Tom Brady, but not actually as Tom Brady. He's just a lead legs Tom Brady type of prospect. Great way to end this segment. Up next, we have Chelsea Messenger from Picks and Parlay, baby. She's coming onto the show talking some MLB betting. We'll get to that next. All right. We got the NFL draft talk out of the way. We are back on Unreasonable Odds. Uh, I'm Julian Edlow, my co host, Steve Buchanan, kind enough to uh, actually join his own podcast this week. And we're bringing in a special guest for MLB as well. Chelsea Messenger, sports betting analyst at Picks and Parlays. Thank you for joining us on Unreasonable Odds. Yeah, thanks for having me. I know everybody's probably inundated with NFL draft stuff right now. Uh, but baseball's still going on and there's still plenty of ways to win money. And of course, that is why we are all here. Baseball is going on. And like we kind of talked about for a minute before the show is going on, when you were like, I hope we're not doing any NBA because right now the NBA <laughs> is impossible to come on a podcast as we're doing at noon Eastern right now and give plays for 7, 8, 9 p.m. on that day. So we're sticking to our strengths here in MLB. I say R as a collective unit, not me. Um, but we will get to that in a second. First, we're going to play a segment um, called Know You Better that we've played the last few weeks with our guests, Steve, of course, hasn't been here. So if he wants to chime in on some of these answers, he can. And I'll probably keep bragging about some of my bigger uh, wins as well. But uh, Chelsea, you're our guest. So we're starting with you here. This doesn't need to be a dollar amount or anything. Just like your biggest win, whether that means, you know, your biggest money win, your biggest plus odds win, your most memorable win, whatever comes to mind for you. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I had a baseball parlay that I think was plus 893 that I won. So that was nice. I uh, can't really think about, you know, when you bet on so many games, it's hard to narrow it down to just a few, you know, because when you bet every day, it's just like a whirlwind. Uh, but that's the one that sticks out to me. 
uh, in the past week or two, because it is hard to get some of these baseball games right. Because I think last night underdogs might have gone eight and two. Uh, so it is hard to predict games. And I would never, you know, suggest doing parlays as a main source of income for betting on any sport, especially baseball. Uh, but they are fun to do. And real quick, too, underdogs, like you mentioned, have been so profitable this season, like at an insane rate so far, too. Like one of my favorite teams, which is the Seattle Mariners, which I've been saying since, since February, I actually like them to win the AOS. So I've been the conductor of that train, but they've been extremely profitable this season. Like that's one team, too. And then just some of these underdogs, like there was a couple of days ago, I had a small parlay on the Mariners and the Padres when they faced off against Clayton Kershaw, like just grabbing some of those matchups where, you know, some of those teams have the advantage, even if they're underdogs has been extremely, extremely profitable. So I, I'm with you, like at least in the early going in April, where we've seen a lot of offenses kind of slumping so far, that's definitely been something to take advantage of. Yeah, or anyone against Jacob DeGrom, bless his heart. <laughs> it's true. Steve, would you like to gloat in your, your biggest win before we move on? Well, my biggest win will be when the Mariners win the AL West. So let me just say that one because at, at 33 to 1, that's going to be a massive haul when they do end up winning that. All right. Well, this is the part where I weekly uh, tell everyone how I had Steve Pierce at plus 3,000 to win the 2018 World Series MVP. Um, but I do have the Mariners plus 4,000 to win the division. So I guess right. I'm with Steve. If that winds up happening, I will switch my answer from Steve Pierce. Um, all right, Chelsea, your worst bad beat. There's a lot I of think, Oh, yes. And there's a reason I'm not uh, doing strikeout props anymore because I have lost so many strikeout props by the hook by one strike, by <laughs> one bad call, by an umpire. My goodness, I cannot wait till they have automated strike zones. Um, so I think that's probably my worst beats of this season have been strikeout props that you lose by the hook uh, when they have two strikes on a batter and then the ump misses a strike call. Those are just god-awful to watch. I think if you do strikeout props, don't watch the game. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I've – I honestly assumed that you had been doing really well in strikeout props because I see you from time to time pop pop up giving some analysis on why a pitcher is going to go over six and a half, seven and a half strikeouts or whatever. And it, I'm sitting there nodding like, yeah, that, that all makes sense to me. So uh, you fooled me. I didn't know they weren't going well for you this season. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that my bad beats this year oh, have been okay, on strikeout okay, okay. props. Those are, your, those are your worst ones, missing. Right. Okay, got you. I mean, I, I trust you there. It seems like seems like you know what you're doing there. Steve has no idea what he's doing with strikeout props. He fed me a couple on opening day that lost. Uh, any bad beats you'd like? Yeah, yeah, you did. I bet one I mean, it, it's going to happen. I mean, you, you are going to lose sometime. I think people have that misconception that no matter what the play is or what somebody gives or automatic wins, you are going to lose some time in betting. So make sure everybody realizes that. I'll tell you what's been a bad beat for me this year. The stupid non-DH rule in the National League needs to go away again. There is nothing more frustrating than having the over in a game or the over on a team total bases are loaded. And then you got the dope starting pitcher coming up batting ninth and he, you know, grounds into a double play or something like that, killing all hopes that you're going to hit the over on that total. So we need to get rid of the national DH. It just needs to go away. I'm sorry. The national league needs to get rid of the non DH rule. We need a universal DH and then those bad beats won't come as often anymore host a gambling podcast you're here telling me <laughs> some bets lose thanks 
great insight there. <laughs> um, but it is true. Right. I feel like every time I take a bet, you know, like if I'll watch like a nationally syndicated show and I take one of their plays because it sounds so good and yeah. the numbers all add up and then you don't lose. And if you're not watching the game, you know, like their analysis could have gone, you know, straight to script, but a play can still lose. So I think that's, you know, just part of being a better. All right. This transition us, transitions us into the worst advice you've ever given. Ooh. Put me on the spot to throw yourself right under the bus. Who, me? Am I going both, first? Both of, both of you guys. I'm definitely yeah. making Steve answer this one. Steve, you can go first because I've got to think. Because, <laughs> I mean, there's been some bad plays that I've given out, but, like, yeah. the numbers have added up. They just didn't, you know, pan out. I think sometimes um, I, I definitely try to get a little cute with some of my analysis. Like if I, it, it, the kind of way to think about it, if you're on the fence about something, like I feel like you might just be best off just like, you know, just kind of keep it to yourself or, or just making it not a play. Like if you're kind of going with your gut at the end of the day, if that's what's kind of be the d- deciding factor for you, especially when you're giving out plays, I think that's one where I need to stay away more from because if the numbers are telling me one thing, but I'm kind of feeling like, well, maybe this could go in the other direction. I think that's kind of where um, a, a lot of, a, where some of those plays don't end up going the way you want them to. Yeah. Um, I will say that um, I think taking strikeout props this year, I'm not, I don't think I'm giving any more of those out because as I've referenced <laughs> before, there's so many things that can affect those other than just a pitcher being lights out. Because uh, as we saw in the last one, Jacob DeGrom lights out again, but he didn't get a strikeout prop. Uh, and it could be, you know, a matter of somebody getting a ground ball instead of a strikeout, an umpire missing a call, uh, the Mets yanking, you know, DeGrom earlier uh, in the game as they did I think uh, maybe in the first start so I think your analysis can be spot on for some of those strikeout props and plus I've numbered I've noticed that some of the numbers I think have been so much higher this season I think uh, that the books have noticed that people like taking the overs on that and so you'll see these numbers that are not uh, easy to bet so I think I am staying away from those which normally I think pitching is my strong point obviously my husband was a pitcher so I feel like I have an inside edge but the numbers for strikeout props this season have been really hard to bet. I'm glad you brought up your husband because I have to tell you a quick story. So while looking at your Twitter profile, I realized that you are married to Jake Buchanan, who's been a pitcher in the major leagues. That right. is also my son's name. My son's oh. name is Jake Buchanan. So I thought that was a fun little tidbit that, that I came across. It's a good name. Uh, he doesn't play <laughs> basketball, does he? Cause um, uh, I think um, I had a Google search, you know, uh, it notifies you every time a new article comes out back when he was playing. Uh, and there was some high school basketball player named Jake Buchanan that was just dropping dimes every night. And I was like, wow, <laughs> I need to find this Jake Buchanan. He's scoring like 33 a night. Um, so I, that's not your son, is it? Uh, no, at nine years old, he's not dropping dimes just yet. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> All right. We have uh, family connections or whatever we want to call it going on. Um, a new addition to Know You Better. Uh, all right. Team or player that you've lost the most on. And we can just parlay these two together. You can also give it with team or player that you've won the most on. Um, I think uh, the Phillies have done me wrong many a time this year. Every time I think their lineup is going to be good, uh, they end up scoring no runs or just a couple. So I think the Phillies are the team that I trust the least this season. On paper, they look good. They have some good starting pitchers, but for some reason or another, I cannot seem to get their games right. So they are a complete stay away from me. 
100% Oakland Athletics for me. I have taken the over on their team total so many times this season, and it's never where I think I'm like 0-7 on taking the over on their team total, which also brings me to tonight because the one pitcher that I've never said that I'm going to back again, I'm actually backing tonight, which is Robbie Ray going against the Atlanta Braves. Oh, I don't God. know how I've gotten here again, but at least and this is where that analysis comes in. At least as of right now, the Braves statistically have been one of the worst offenses in the league, aside from the Detroit Tigers. Like their numbers are absolutely putrid against lefties. They've been fine against righties, but lefties, it's like a complete opposite. So like if you start diving into those numbers, like they are literally uh, second to last in the league in almost everything like Woba, WRC plus. They're one of the highest in strikeout percentage. Robbie Ray has been pretty decent so far, which is not a high bar that he has to go over to begin with, but he's got good strikeout upside. He seemed to be pitching better in, in, uh, in Toronto, which is also Florida quote unquote, cause that's where they're playing. But right. at least as of tonight, I'm backing Robbie Ray. I hate it because this is somebody that like I written off years ago and I said, I'd never do it again, but at least from what the numbers say tonight, like, it's because uh, I, I when I last checked, the Blue Jays were uh, even money on the DraftKings Sportsbook. So you're getting even money on that on the money line. But I'm probably going to hate him again tonight. I'm fully preparing to be angry at Robbie Ray again tonight. It's funny that you mentioned that because that was one of the games that, you know, on paper, I was like, oh, this is a good spot for Ray's team total. And it sucks when you spend 20 minutes handicapping a game only to find that glaring error in your logic. <laughs> and it is the Braves second to last first lefties. Uh, when it comes to most statistical categories. Yeah. Uh, granted, they have not faced a whole lot of lefties. So maybe Correct. you could say that the sample size is small. And also, they've been a lot hotter as of late because to yes. start the season, nobody in the Braves lineup uh, outside of Acuna was hot. So I think they are starting to come on a little bit stronger, but this is one I'll be staying away from just because you mentioned. Uh, I think it's one that Robbie Ray is either going to uh, walk six guys, have nine <laughs> strikeouts, and give up five home runs, or he's going to strike out nine, you know, and go six scoreless like he did last time. So Robbie Ray is one of those pitchers that I think you just stay away from just because you don't know what you're going to get. He is the definition of volatility uh, in the market. I will say Acuna has uh, two home runs off him in three at bats. So maybe uh, looking at Acuna there, if you like home run yeah. props, if you're feeling a little risky. Uh, but yeah, that's a stay away game for me, I think. And I think it's so important too, like when you're looking at these April stats that like, these are so volatile because like when right. they update overnight, I don't know if you use, do you use fangraphs.com at all for, for baseball stats and all that? Yeah. Like the, yeah. the advanced ones, yes, like the correct. FIP and all those fun ones. Yep. So those obviously, you know, update overnight and they move dramatically. Like teams can go from being the bottom of the league to have one good night of offense. And all of a sudden they're near, you know, the middle of the top because of that's right. just how new these numbers are. And it's fresh, but I still think that it's worth looking at some of these recent trends because once you get like into July and August, you don't see a lot of movement in these numbers because the sample size is much bigger. But like for my case, at least from the small sample, the Braves have struggled really bad against lefties. So that could be something I could take advantage of tonight with Ray. But at the end of the day, once we get to you know September, I know for a fact that the Braves are not going to be near the bottom of the league against lefties. That's just how it started out for them. So I think it's you know it's definitely worth thinking about some of those trends, especially early on into the season. But it also could be an advantage if a team is struggling against that particular split. That's where some of that advantage can come from. Yeah, real quick, uh, what do you make of the Dodgers struggling against lefties? Because statistically, they haven't been good against lefties this season, and it just doesn't make sense to me. 
Yeah, that's another one too. And I, but I, I think you look at some of the numbers here too, like Mookie Betts has gotten off to a really slow start. That's obviously something they've had some injuries where they've had to use like Zach McKinstry in the lineup. And, you know, some of these guys that have fill in Edwin Rios has been a guy that usually is on the bench. He, they've almost been forced to play him against lefties because there's, they're down so many bodies. So, Again, that's just something that, like, once the season moves on, I have no doubt that they're going to be like that. But again, yeah, the lefties against the Dodgers has been a split to, to attack against in the early going because of injury so far. Right. I mean, you guys just completely hijacked the segment and just started going with MLB. <laughs> so, I mean, sorry, that's fine. Sorry. That's fine. We're here to talk baseball. I'm here to steer the ship. So I love it. I could just sit here and do nothing. Um, <laughs> well, before we close up with a few minutes of just actually getting into whatever baseball we want to talk about um, trends that you guys love to follow or fade. And we'll, we'll keep it to, to MLB since we're obviously going all MLB heavy here. I'm not a big trends person when it comes to baseball. I think some are worth noting, especially first five unders. Uh, yeah. There's been some teams that have been surprisingly hot to the first five under that you kind of wouldn't expect, uh, wouldn't expect because obviously the Brewers are a team you probably would expect and they've been hot. Uh, in the first five under just because they have that pedestrian offense and also good starting pitching. Uh, but the Padres have been one of those teams that have been hot uh, first five under team. And you think with so many big names in that lineup that they would not be, you know, uh, not scoring that many runs. But for some reason or another, they've struggled to score runs kind of uh, in the first few frames of the game. Uh, maybe that changes, you know, because obviously they've uh, piled it on the Diamondbacks the other day. Um, but uh, that's the only trend that I would look at. But I think uh, you don't ever base your bet on one trend alone. I, I completely agree with that too. And, you know, I like to look at the over-under trends because I love betting the over-under, especially if you have like two poor pitchers going at each other or a team that has a really bad bullpen, which would be like the Detroit Tigers. Like for example, tonight, you know, the Yankees have been one of the worst teams at hitting the over on the season. They're eight and 17, which is truly amazing when you think about how good that offense is, but obviously their early, early season struggles has led them to being a consistent team that's hitting the under. But then you have a matchup like tonight where you're getting like Tariq Skubal going up against the Yankees. Skubal hasn't pitched much this year. He's a lefty. The Yankees have been doing good against lefties. And statistically, the Tigers have one of the worst bullpens in the league. So even though the Yankees are 8-17 and 17 and hitting the over so far this season, this is a game where I want to target that over because I do feel like even though it's Garrett Cole who's going for them, they still can hit the over because they should just be able to tee off on just bad pitching innings one through nine. So I love looking at those over-under trends because that's where I like taking uh, a lot of my bets on the over-unders and team total. So I do think that's something worth watching. You know, like you said, not not one trend should make you love or hate a bet. It should be part of your research, but that's where I'm always at uh, with MLB bets. All right. I'm looking at the MLB board. You got after I've, I have some questions. I have some plays that I might be interested in, but I've been so out of baseball with the NFL draft and NBA that I don't know if these are good bets or not. So I'm going to ask you guys about these two, and then you guys can just kind of go through what you, what you see today, what you see for the weekend or whatever. I fade Madison Bumgarner on the first five every time. I don't look. I fade him. Last time I faded him on the first five in a seven inning game and he threw a no hitter. I'll Great say job. for my own personal pride, it doesn't count as a no hitter because it was seven innings. So I didn't get no hit, but I was on the wrong side of that one. Uh, pretty good. Uh, is John Gray and the Rockies offense good enough on the road to even consider this one at around even money or is the mad bum fade train just done? 
I mean, obviously he looked a lot better in his last one uh, against a pretty good Braves lineup. Uh, I don't think that he's going to be winning the Cy Young this year. I think he still uh, has some real big faults, you know, in his pitching arsenal. Uh, but that one doesn't seem – nothing stands out to me uh, about that one. I will say the Dimebacks offense has been a lot better than I thought it was going to be. This is a team that I didn't think that it was going to do anything, but they've uh, actually won some games. I think um, maybe eight of their last ten, so – uh, just not anything stands out to me on that one. So can't give you any good advice. Sorry. Madison Bumgarner also is, just aren't a great team to bet on, but no, I mean, the, the Rockies are literally, that lineup is literally like a double a lineup. Like it's, it's bad. Like it's, it's worse than bad. Like there's after they got rid of Nolan Arenado and traded him to the, the Cardinals, there's just no power in that lineup at all. And so you look at Madison Bumgarner, who is, you know, a lefty, but there's just nothing redeeming about that Rockies lineup, even against lefties. So, you know, they I look do at have that, some good righties though. They do have some decent righties, but like their power output for the season is just absolutely horrific. And I haven't checked over the past couple of days, but they were under a hundred against even lefties. Like it's been that bad. So I look at that and even though the totals at um, over under at eight and a half, John Gray has been good enough for the Rockies that if I was to make a play on that, I'd probably take the under eight and a half runs just because Diamondbacks offense has been overly great. John Gray has by far been their best pitcher, uh, especially on the road. And that Rockies offense just has not done anything really offensively all season long. So, you know, not really a fade towards Bumgarner, but probably a fade on the over for the game total. All right. I'm not betting that. I would not. I advise you. Uh, yeah, your your worst advice segment. You said don't bet stuff when you're. Eh, we're not betting. <laughs> See, um, there you go. <laughs> all right. So Steve and I are both based out of out of Boston. Um, I, I think we're both far from Red Sox homers. I will mostly knock what the Red Sox have done over the last couple of seasons. However, Evaldi's been pretty good when he has his stuff. Uh, from what I know, Texas that lineup is not good. And you guys are going to have to introduce me, if you can, to whoever is starting for the Texas Rangers. Um, I'm about to look up his stats. I have no idea who that is. But I'm looking to maybe lay the half run on the first five with the Red Sox on the road. Um, Yay or nay? I think I'd rather just – what are the odds of them just to win outright? I think they're about minus 150-ish on the money line. Uh, 155, yeah, it's pretty juiced up. Dang. Uh, cause I would say just take the Red Sox, you know, uh, I would like that play, uh, better than maybe a first five, just because you need, uh, for first five bets, you need the other, you know, you need the Red Sox to score some runs too. Uh, it's not just pitching. You need the offense to do something too. And we've seen some low scoring games, uh, from the Red Sox, uh, as of late, uh, that Mets series, uh, most notably. And I just don't know that much enough about our Arahara. I always yeah. want to say Arihara. Koji, who was the Red Sox uh, guy that was like 40? Um, that was Koji, Koji Uihara. Uihara. Yeah, yeah, that's who. That I 2000, always, what was that, 13 yeah. World Series? Yeah. Game? I always think of that guy when I see this guy's name. Uh, but that is neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not a huge first five um, unless I really, really love the pitching matchup. And uh, like I said, I just think uh, you need the bats to contribute too, which the Red Sox bats have been hot. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't talk, talk you off of it. 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm not crazy about the first five in this one just because you're getting such a mixed bag from both starting pitchers. Ovaldi has been either one realm of the hour and then, you know, Hari, if that's what his name is. I still don't know enough about him because he's still new to the major league. So he's not somebody that I'm like consistently looking to go after. And then, like we mentioned too, the Red Sox bats definitely cooled off in that Mets series. I think they, they yeah, they only scored two runs total. Uh, in those three games, obviously one of them was against Jacob DeGrom where they did win one, nothing, but you know, the offense has just not been there even right since back to the Mariners series, you know, Mm because of course the Mariners are superior in the ALS, but they've really kind of cooled off in that one too. So it's been a tough going, a tough sledding for that offense. As of late, the Rangers are not a team that you fear offensively. Um, but I'm not sold that Avaldi is blowing away hitters like, you know, a lot of the Red Sox fans have expected him to this year. So that's probably one I would stay away from. Um, I, I, I'm not crazy about that game at all. We're just dumping on your picks. Yeah, dumping like, you know, picks are good I games. I haven't, looked at, I haven't looked at a baseball board in a little while, and I'm here to just throw them out. I will say I'm, I'm very well known for uh, giving out the best MLB analytics out there. Um, that's a joke. Question. Red yeah, Sox definitely. ranked <laughs> The Red Sox are third in baseball in runs per game in the first five at 2.96 yes. per game. They score right. Er, they score early. They get the majority of their runs early. Seventh in runs per game overall. I don't know if you put any weight in that. That early, it's kind of early in the season. It's kind of a weird number, but Texas league average. I thought they would be lower. Uh, but right you know at what? 15. With that number, and this is going back to just like looking at April stats, that is very top heavy from the beginning of the season. Right. They were so, beating up on teams. Right. Because like for a while back, the, the Reds were averaging almost nine runs per game, like through the first two weeks of the season. Obviously, that was yep. unsustainable and that's dropped dramatically since then. But that is very top heavy because that is not the team over the past week and a half. It's uh you, here's how you can tell that it's still too early to maybe put weight in numbers like that. You just mentioned Cincinnati. Um, their first five runs per game, they're averaging 4.83 runs <laughs> per first five innings at home, 1.58 on the road. Wow. That's, <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's a major difference. Yep. Yep. That's probably wow. one of the larger splits that you will see uh, right. in, in baseball right now. Even though Cincinnati is a very hitter-friendly park, I know everybody talks about Coors Field, and obviously number one for a reason, but you know the Great American Ballpark is not an uh, easy park to pitch in. No, definitely not. Um, all right, well, I'm just going to hand the floor over to, to you guys at this point. Like, Is there anything – I mean, I just gave two plays that you don't like, so yeah. is there anything that either of you do like on Friday or matchups that you want to look forward to, uh, look ahead to on, on the weekend? Yeah, uh, how about we give plays and we can tell each other why it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm all for that. You guys will both sound just, right to me. We're going to – Lay it all on the line, and then everybody can tell me why I'm wrong. I'm taking the under in the Royals-Twins game. I like what I've seen from Brady Singer so far. Uh, the most impressive thing for me about him is only allowed two home runs and 21 innings of work and going against this Twins lineup that, of course, is red hot uh, coming off that six-home run game. Um, but I, overall, this has not been a, a Twins lineup that has uh, scored a whole lot. Uh, they've lost eight of their last 10, scoring three runs or fewer in, in seven of those last 10. And then we've got the Royals, one and nine to the under on the road. Twins, three, six and one to the under at home. Uh, twins are just three and seven at home. So if you would like to sprinkle a little bit on the Royals, I think this is going to be a, a closer 
uh, game here. I think the under is the safe play under eight. Uh, Pineda has been good and all, but I think one of his starts, he has a two, three, two ERA and a whip under one, which means he's not allowing a whole lot of base runners, which, uh, is a good thing. Uh, in many categories, uh, Royals, not a team that's heavy on power either 26 and home runs. Uh, I like this matchup to go under and maybe worth a look, uh, to sprinkle a little bit on the Royals as an underdog here. And so go ahead and tell me all the things that are wrong with this one. No, I, I, I like this one. And, and I w- I'm glad you mentioned them as the underdog because they've been a profitable team as the underdog. You're 65 sure. on the uh, on the money line as underdogs this season. You're getting them at plus 120 tonight. And, and quite frankly, the Twins offense has been anything but what anybody expected. I think everybody kind of has in their head that this was the offense that we saw back in 2019 where they were tearing the cover off the ball no matter who they face. This has not been that team so far this season. They're not getting any production from guys like Mitch Garver, Miguel Sano, who were some of the bigger bats for them back a couple of years ago. They've been slumping this entire season. And Brady Singer has been probably one of the more underrated pitchers, at least through the early months, uh, month of April so far for the Royals. And it's a big reason why they have one of the best records in all of majors, right? Major league right now. It's been truly amazing how well they've come out uh, firing out of the gate. So I don't hate that play at all, but I will give a play that I know you're going to hate. Um, and that's awesome. the under because it's gone up now. It's now under 10 and a half for the Braves blue Jays game. Like I am going to beat on this Robbie Ray drum until you're taking he... a side and a total. Yes. Yeah, so well, I'm looking. And there's a lot to like in this game. At least I think as of right now, like I'm about to go on MLB network in 15 minutes and talk about how I like Robbie Ray. This is a national thing. That's going to be out in the world in a few minutes, but I still, <laughs> I mean, this total is going up. This line is really going to move after your big media. <laughs> appearance, huh? But this line is going up. It was 10 runs this morning. It's up to 10 and a half. Now. I just think people are overvaluing how good this Braves team has been. They've been great offensively, but if the numbers against lefties at least stay true for one night, I just need to stay true for one more night. Then the under is, is the play here in this one. So I think under 10 and a half uh, is the play right now. And that is uh, the side where the money is going right now. It's at minus 115 where the over is now 105. So just, you know, something to consider. Uh, yeah, the Blue Jays right. bullpen's been good too, at least statistically. Like I know they faced the Yankees yeah. a lot, which uh, kind of has boosted their stats. Uh, but I think they had the best ERA in baseball for a bullpen Uh, I think a couple days ago, the last time I checked. So uh, definitely worth a look and definitely a contrarian play because when you look at the starting pitchers, you never would think, you know, under, but 10 and a half, that's the thing. You're playing the number. You're not playing, you know, your initial thoughts. You're playing the number and you do get a nice uh, big number here. Thanks for uh, (laughs) bumping your MLB network segment there. Everybody's really excited for it. They are. (laughs) all right, we're gonna unless anybody has any hot take minus the analysis, any other play that they want to give out before we before we wrap for Friday or the weekend. I, I, I gave I'm the play there. that I, I'm not confident about, so I'm good. All right, per, uh, perfect. Um, I have nothing. Watch for my day two NFL draft best bets. That'll be much better than my MLB analysis. Um, He's Steve Buchanan. I'm Julian Edlow. She is our guest, a sports betting analyst. At Picks and Parlays, Chelsea Messner, thank you so much for joining the Unreasonable Odds podcast and for helping us out on MLB because obviously I'm just dead weight here. Thanks for having me.